welcome to Wisco Dice. Hello. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's all I got. Oh, wake up. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Man, I'm you, here. <laughs> you are seriously full of some so- total motivation over there, bro. I'm sapped out. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, we're up for episode 33 of Wisco Dice. This is the Conzie with the most, your host. Also joined with your other host, Stark Raving Mad. You said you're exhausted there, bro. What's, what's going on? What's Why are you so whooped? Well, mostly. Well, not mostly. Just a combination of things. There was semifinals for the Mad Rolling Dolls last night. Jam refs, two bouts, doubleheader. So that's kind of a long night. It went well, though. It was cool. Yeah, I heard my, my girls, the Res Dolls, won, so that's all that counts. Yep, that they did. They'll be facing the Unholy Rollers. I think that's the first time that's ever happened for the championships, so that's in a couple weeks, May 14th, for anybody yeah, here in town. I was right, that's su- not the 14th. I was, I was kind of surprised it came May up. Something. It was really quick after the semi, so. Yeah, these last few bouts have been like only like three weeks apart or something. It's a little quicker than usual. What are we planning on covering today, anyways? I think we're talking about some dead stuff. The Tomb Kings, actually. Something we actually know a little bit about, right? Ah, uh, we both do. Kind of. We both play them. Yeah, we both play them. At know. least I try to. You're probably <laughs> more I, successful I lately. Don't, I don't know how, how much more successful I really am, but we definitely have a couple of different takes with the army and... My uh, take sucks. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll just come up with some newer or great insights on how you guys that are playing the Tomb Kings can kind of figure out new ways or things you can add to your list as well as our own thoughts on each of the unit choices in the list. Yep, yep. So let's go ahead and thank all of our sponsors that help us put on this show every time we get together. That's going to go ahead and start with Prism Gaming. Prism Ooh. Gaming, you can catch them on prismgamer.com. Also, we have The Last Square. Hey, you got it right. I did no get it struggle. right for once. <laughs> yep, you definitely catch uh, LastSquare.com. Looking for, up, you can get 20% off on Games Workshop product through their web store. All sorts of good stuff there. Misty Mountain Games and Diversions here on Cottage Grove Road. It's the Madison's Eastside Gaming Store and the largest gaming space here in Madison right now. And finally, the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League, the WWHFB, Wisconsin's oldest and longest-run Warhammer Fantasy game club. Coming up on the next term for that. Yeah, we start the new term. Get your probably, the, probably the term will be started after this show goes out, actually. so Yeah, pretty much. What have we been doing the last couple of weeks? Uh, I think we've both been kind of busy going to a lot of things. You more so. It was right at we went to... Uh, Whatever it was called. Yeah, we in Green a, Bay. Yeah, let's play Green Bay. <laughs> let's play Green Bay. There we go. So let's go ahead. We were planning on doing some event coverage from there, but ended up not doing it due to just being busy, working different stuff. So what do you think of Let's Play Green Bay? How did that go for you? Uh, it was all right. I mean, I had a good enough time. It wasn't any like a big deal. It seemed 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 like yeah, seemed like the weather kind of worked against the convention a little bit, and I think there was some other some other issues with advertising and whatnot yeah. that made our turnouts a little bit lower than expected for some of the events we were running or participating in. I was really pleased though with like the paint and take and helping out with that all weekend. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, all the. Whatever his name was from ROE, it was really cool. Scott. To, Scott, it was really cool to meet him and just hang out with them at their booth. Yeah, help with the paint and take and all the stuff he was selling and everything else. Yep. Yeah, so it was it was definitely a pleasure to do that. We did we did do uh, Adepticon Fantasy Primer. We ran that. 
Um, and we actually ended up having a bit of a turnout for a 40K primer. So, And then it looked like you got the demo bolt action, too, while you were there. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I half forgot about that, but whatever size. It's the same size as Warhammer scale. It's, but tw- it's 28 millimeter, yeah. but not the heroic scale, so you don't have, like, your guns aren't, like, uber-sized. <laughs> They're, They're normal real size. scale. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. I think that's the only whatever World War II kind of era game I've seen in that scale. And it was pretty fun to play. It was just a skirmish game. And our game didn't go too long. It was kind of a four of us playing uh, two versus two game. Yeah, and I don't think any any one of you had more than five, six, six hundred points a player either. So no, it was, it was all kind of eyeballed and yeah, it was just kind of what we had available. But it was a really cool intro to the game. It seemed pretty neat, and I definitely like to play some more of it. Yeah, we'll definitely be doing. Uh, it, it's we're planning on doing a point five cast in the future on bolt action. So if you want to hear more, that will be forthcoming at some point when both Brian and I and maybe Robert have some some more bolt action miniatures and a and a couple more games down our our belts and that's a brand new game isn't it it's a fairly new game i i don't know if it was exactly coming out right around gen con or if it had been out for a while but i know i got the intro at gen con this last year and oh, i okay. picked up the rule book and they've they've been doing a pretty big push to release a lot of plastics and resin kits for the various tanks and regiments and units so, so there's quite a bit of uh coolness to it i mean it's i i like it a lot better than i like 40k personally that for a round based game and a and a squad based game it makes a lot more sense to me too like you don't have a lot of aerial interaction or or naval bombardments because at that point like world war ii stuff wasn't that accurate so you didn't have that kind of pinpoint targeting and stuff like that so you don't have aerial support or hey calling in i got my laser bead on this unit i'm calling in a, a, a strike from space well that actually doesn't happen in 40k and i don't understand why because that's how the tech kind of battle and warfare i would think would actually operate you would think so because yeah we had an artillery dude in the little game i played and that was like the first dude to get shot because <laughs> it seemed pretty good otherwise i i hit adepticon obviously last weekend yep and was that was there. obviously adepticon for you few people that might not have ever heard of Adepticon, Adepticon is basically if the U.S.'s largest miniatures <laughs> convention. Period. It possibly it's it's clo- it's got to be close, if not the largest miniatures convention in the world. Too, it's really crazy the number of people that were at it. I, the the team tournament that they had on Friday, so they they expanded it to four days this year with Friday being the team tournament day, which was kind of a bummer for me. I wasn't going to do the team tournament because they moved it to Friday. Oh. Uh, but I ended up having a, being able to fill in an opening on Grant Fetter, with Grant Fetter. And, of course, the handsome man was always a pleasure to hang around with and party with all weekend. So teamed up with him, with Dark Elves and Ogres in the team tournament. And there was 112 teams. Wow. So that room was packed. <laughs> no kidding. And... I had a blast. It was a. I, I cannot tell you how much fun the team tournament was. So definitely, we've. I just uh, uploaded the video footage of for, from Adepticon today. So that'll be out there too. So check it out. It'll. It was a great time. I. I had a blast. Cool. Gaming wise, I've played a lot of Warhammer lately. I've played zero. <laughs> Obviously, at the team tournament at Adepticon. And then I had we'd had a two on two 
uh, Warhammer battle yesterday at the last square. That was really, it was a lot of fun just getting everybody together. We had 3,000 points per player, so we had a lot of, it was ogres and lizard men versus demons and dark elves. Huh. Dustin and I were the demons and dark elves, and we pretty much, there were a couple of points, even even midway through it, where we, we were pretty confident we were going to win. There were a couple of points where if a roll or two goes wrong here, this whole thing could fall apart and we could just lose this game badly or we could, or they could come back and end up being real close. Did that happen? No. <laughs> we, we, we did end up winning really, really strong. But there was, like, Dustin had a keeper of secrets and it was down to like two wounds. And if it would have popped, they could have started rolling our entire left flank. They had all, cause that was, it was really a battle for the, really the game came down to battle for left flank and right flank. And oh, yeah. uh, the right flank, like, I don't know why it is in Warhammer. And all the time when I feel like I've got a strong, I'm strong on one flank and, and, and weak on the other, it's always the weak flank <laughs> that, that somehow shines. And so our right flank was our weaker flank. We didn't really have much of anything. We were just going to ignore it and try to stall and hold that flank as long as we could. And it ended up turning around, turning out that we just ended up owning that flank and combined with my black guard going down the gut, mind razoring and taking out <laughs> a unit of temple guard and slan in two rounds of combat. That's rough. That was uh well he never saw a temple he never saw black guard in action and he never saw temple guard. And the the big key to the black guard would have probably never made it that far, except that they had a unit of eight lead belchers. Yeah. That had lined up behind the temple guard and there was a hill. So the temple guard walked down the hill. The lead belchers were supposed to walk up on top of the hill. But what happened was turn one, our, we have our skill cannon, the corn new skull cannon thing, and it fires at the iron blaster, takes the iron blaster out that's right next to the lead, lead belchers. Uh -huh. Lead belchers panic, run off the board. <laughs> okay. Well. Now we've got free reign to walk across the center of the board without being shot the dickens. And, well, tough three elves, once they get there with some mind razor, just delete things in a hurry. Yep. So that was, it was a lot of fun. We, I put up some foot pictures on Twitter uh, while we were playing the game yesterday. Cool. So if you hadn't checked those out yet, you can go ahead and see those. Hobby-wise, where did you get anything done on hobby? Ugh, no. Not no. Really. So you still got those five ghouls mostly started, that's all? Uh yeah, they've been in my box since Brian. Let's I, play Green Bay. You're you're gonna suffer from the uh oh. I know it's the end of the semester and derby and everything. I don't know. I'm pretty burned out right at the moment, so I haven't <laughs> even gotten a chance to work. And I'm a couple more weeks. The semester will be over. I think some stuff will be. And then back you're gonna have to table. go into a mad panning panic just to try to <laughs> just to try to feel like you got something accomplished. Yeah, pretty much. I yeah. don't know. It was, I. I think I might have had a few moments, but I haven't played a game or anything, so I was kind of uninspired to work on them. Gets that demotivation there. I, yep. I, I, I hear that. Otherwise, I guess the closest thing I did, um, I don't know if I mentioned it on the show last time, but I was thinking about getting back in with uh, uh, the privateer press guys playing War Machine and Hordes. A lot of them used to play Warhammer with us a long time ago, but I was talking about getting into that to play with those guys again, and I was actually gifted a Menoth battle group that he got free for entry at Adepticon or whatever, so he just gave it to me. So I actually busted one of those out and started working on putting them together. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I was really generous of Andy. So, so. you stopped by... Yeah, I've stopped by the last couple of weeks. They play on Wednesday nights at uh, 
Pegasus, actually. And, and we're talking about Andy. He's from the Crippled Systems podcast, so we'll go ahead and yep. give those guys a shout-out. So if you're looking for something, War Machine Hordes to look out, look for, those guys are from here in Madison. A lot of them used to play Warhammer with us and, and kind of jump ship. And yeah, I think Andy <laughs> would probably play again if we really could talk him into it. Yeah, maybe. I bet he'd be interested enough. I think he... He did jump in one last time, and it didn't work out too <laughs> well. The, first, the few games he played, he didn't like how they went, so he was back out again. I think we'll go ahead and take a break here, and we come back, go from there. Do you want to speed up your games with super accurate measuring and control your dice from flying everywhere? then Prism Gaming is your place to shop. Do you love beautiful, bold colors and amazing washes with a huge selection of colors? Then Prism Gaming is your place to shop. If you love to game, then you love Prism Gaming. For all of their products and materials, shop www.prismgamer.com. Hey, we're back. Maybe we're back. Brian, are you alive over there? Almost. I'm undead. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. Because we're going to talk about undead. We are. We are very undead. Uh-huh. Uh, it's the deserty kind. Uh, There's no zombies. No zombies? No zombies in the Tomb Kings. No wonder. No wonder. <laughs> no wonder everybody says the Tomb Kings are terrible. Buckle up, bonehead, because you're going for a ride. Yeah. Well, I wait mean, what a minute. Can you do They're without, not terrible. Without zombies. Tomb Kings are not my, terrible. My Tomb Kings are terrible. I haven't tried very hard, though. <laughs> yeah. You haven't. You, we, there's a lot of reasons for that, I think. But yeah. Tomb Kings. Uh, wh- why do folks want to play Tomb Kings? I mean, obviously, we're we're, we're kind of making them sound like they're terrible or not. But they're, I don't think they're a terrible <laughs> army at all. I think they're lots of fun. Yeah, for sure. They're uh, a great modeling and hobby army they have uh, this really cool unique look that isn't like any of the other armies it certainly definitely separates them uh significantly away from the vampire counts makes yeah, them look like sure. a completely different army i think the look of them is a huge draw for playing them definitely it seems like modeling, a lot of people think they're really cool looking yeah modeling hobby like there were a lot a big number of uh, Tomb King armies at adepticon and you could definitely tell every single one of those armies were armies that people we're picked them and we're bringing them to Adepticon, not because they were playing them because they thought they were maybe the best army, but because they love the army, love the appearance, love the story and the fluff behind the army, and you know, there was a lot of that transposed into their modeling and their and their army projects. You could really see that it was really cool. It was one of the few armies that you you know you look at a lot of armies that were on the tables and you'd see like there were guys who get her into into the hobbing and modeling aspect because they they loved and they had that passion for the army. But there were a lot of like I mean, like the warriors armies. There weren't a lot of warriors players there, honestly. That you know you could really see that there was that love for the army because they had that huge hobby and modeling aspect no no it was the hotness of the week ogres uh-huh. kind of the same way it's the hotness of the week it's a low model count army tomb kings not a single player there you could see that didn't have that like love and passion for that hobby in the story of the army yeah for sure so I'm sure that goes for most all tomb kings because i don't think you're gonna play them because they haven't been a top army that's well like i mean they're not the biggest or the best army that Definitely. being said we're gonna talk about them and tell you guys how you can win with tomb kings because they do, they have a pretty steep learning curve. <laughs> I, I haven't figured out how I want to play them. 
That's yep. I, I think the biggest, the toughest thing for a Tomb Kings player and makes this army, it intimidates a lot of people, and people give it a kind of a bad rap because it is this huge, huge learning curve of an army. You really, not only do you have to know the game, but you have to kind of be able to anticipate your opponents, and you have to really position and move your units, almost thinking the ter- next turn ahead yeah. when you're playing the army to try to anticipate where things are going to be so you can always take advantage of everything in your army doing what you need it to do. Yeah, it seems like you need a lot of synergy in your own army, too. I mean, you you got to really build your list well. Like, I've tended to kind of slap mine together, <laughs> and that doesn't work at all. Yeah, definitely. It is definitely a, a high synergy army. It requires a lot of things to work in unison, but when those things start working in unison and you get those combos going, you get a really, really good army that comes to the table and can play very strongly. Yeah, a good player plays them really well, that's for sure. Like at last or at, at Let's the, Play Let's Green Play Green Bay. Bay Tomb Kings were one of our armies. One of the players showed up with Tomb Kings, and he what was do you know? Kicking butt. He not only not only did he, yeah, not only did he kick rear, he won all three of his games, and he won the tournament. Uh-huh. So they definitely, and that was Mikey Ballard. So yeah, it definitely could be a really really strong army in the hands of somebody that knows what they're doing and executes well. So let's start with the start with the army. What where what units do you want to start with, Brian? Uh, well, what, let's talk about core. Like, what's the bulk of the Tomb King? Core is always a good place. Like, the first place I always want to start when I'm building an army list is I want to build out my core and get an idea thematically and tactically what I'm doing or what, you know, because I have to take this stuff. So uh-huh. what do we have for core options, Brian? Oh, uh, well, what do you think you see the most of? Is chariots probably what's filling up the most of core or is it skeleton? I think skeleton archers are probably the number one thing if people people are going to take and that's kind of the staple the number one staple for this army right yeah, now. yeah there's archers or warriors actually two different skeletons so the bowmen beat out the regular warriors in my opinion i i think bowmen beat out beat out warriors because bowmen are multi it's problem with the skeleton is and, I, and it's the same problem in the, in the vampire counts armies they just die like die in droves and they and don't it, really kill anything in the process yeah, and, and they <laughs> and they're just strength three so yeah they they struggle to kill things they struggle to wound things and since they're taking a lot of damage, they tend to just fall apart in a hurry. Well, at least with the Bowman, you get to do something for several turns. And while yep. it's ballistic skill shooting, it's still shooting. But the best part about the Tomb King ballistic skill shooting is it's never modified. Yep. You can get increases to your ballistic skill to increase your chance. You can modify modify your odds of shooting. So like a miasma or a, or a uh, buff to your ballistic skill shooting will will work where you know in a in a bonus like that something that increases the ballistic skill of the model but if you have a, a if it's there's a modifier like say shooting through soft cover not a problem you ignore those modifiers you know those are negative but you also lose those positive modifiers those really rare occasions when you get those yeah it doesn't happen too much anymore but it means that now i've got a unit that does something all the time and when we talk about characters, you have to take uh, one of your characters has to be a Hierophant, and he's kind of the linchpin of the army, so it's a great place for like a Hierophant bunker to kind of sit back and hold it back kind of unit. So I think Skeleton Archers, for me, are, are kind of that one of that staple things, that no matter what, I see that in every Tomb King army, no matter who's playing them. Even if they decide to go Skelly Warrior blocks, there's still a unit of Archers to bunker up that Hierophant. Yeah, that seems to be a most common thing is have the Hierophant bunker be your archers um, because they do you know because you're going to hold them back you don't want that hierophant sticking his head out there 
But then you have Skelly Warriors, and I've seen those guys play it a lot because you can do things with the characters to add that synergy to them. Yeah, the My Will Be Done is pretty awesome. Which is available on Tomb Princes and Tomb Kings, and what does that rule do? Uh, transfers their weapon skill to the whole skeleton unit. The whole unit. So all oh, of a sudden, yeah. you go from lousy weapon skill 2 to like a 5 or a 6. Uh-huh. And that definitely changes up the odds of being able to survive. The other thing is I think the Skelly Warriors do have access to a magic banner, which is one of the few places you can actually get a magic banner in the list. Yep, they can have one up to 10 points. So Up to 10 points, bit. which is really there's a magic banner that they put in the book that makes your opponent have to re-roll successful fear checks or something like that, I think. Um, I know there's one in Vampires. I can look quick and see I if there's one I think that's one that's available to the Tomb Kings as well. No. No? No, you're full of it. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> they All just right. got two big banners as well. But they do have access to a magic banner, uh-huh. so you can get something. Even like and, an armor piercing or something is that more? No, than 10 that's points, forty-five though? points. Oh, I think. Holy crap! <laughs> yeah. So there's yeah, not not a lot you can do, but you, there's some things you can do there. But that is that's one of the things too that's a kind of a, a limitation of the Tomb Kings book is that there's a, not a lot of places to slip those magic banners in so that you can get flaming or something like that, like you might want. So there's nope. one of your spots. You think, what about spears or hand weapon? Do you have an opinion that way? I want to put mine with spears just because I like the models better, but they're probably better hand weapon shield, aren't they? I, I don't know. I'm half a, I, I'm, I'm, I'm twisted there. I think, uh, if you're going to take skelly warriors, it, it depends on your application. I think if I was going to take spears, my blocks would be probably 60 strong, uh-huh. minimum. I wouldn't put him on the board with less than 60. With the prince or king in there. With the prince and the necrotech. Necrotech get hatred. Yep. So, and then we'll talk about the Necrotech in a little bit. But yeah, the Necrotech yep. confers hatred. The prince or the king gets that weapon skill on the unit. Now all of a sudden you have a, a block of, you know, and you get 60 plus models. That means you can survive like, okay, somebody else's horde hit my horde. My skellies died in droves, but you got enough of I've got so many of them that now I could tie you up for two, three, four rounds of combat, hopefully. What else is score? We have chariots, right? Yep, we mentioned chariots. So I like chariots. The chariots are really good. What's now? There's a couple of neat things that people don't always catch on the chariots that are that are uh, makes that's what makes them really good. And the, well, the first thing is they the, they get D6 impact hits per chariot. Uh-huh. That's huge. And their chariot units. We're yeah, talking about here. One, the only time you can get a unit of chariots is with Tomb Kings. Uh, Tomb Kings out. You can get chariot units with orcs and goblins oh, really? too. But yeah, the, the goblin goblins. chariots can take a unit up to three. Oh really? I've never yep. seen that. No, I've never <laughs> seen it either. But they can do it. The chariots, I think, are really good because the other the other kind of neat thing with them is on that turn that they charge the skeletons on the chariots. Each skeleton has two attacks a per a piece rather yeah. than. I just rather learned just that. the one. <laughs> yeah, I don't put it. I've out been to playing you. Tomb Kings for how long, and even with this book, I did never notice that they both had two attacks. Yeah, it used to be one in the yep. old book, and now it's two in this book, and that's that that's definitely crazy. that definitely helps make up for a lot with the unit. And that'll help you in future rounds of combat too, if you didn't break them. Yeah, it does give you a little bit. I like to play. I like to play personally a big block of uh, Skelly chariots. I use five Skelly chariots with a Tomb Prince in my list, uh-huh. typically on a chariot. So the Tomb Prince is conferring his weapon skill to the unit. There's a lot of wounds in the unit, so I kind of treat it like a big Skelly block. But if I charge, I can dish a bunch of damage on that turn. I charge. And then I can sit and tie something up for a, a couple of rounds of combat while the chariots 
uh, lock it up. Like it's great to charge that into ogres, do a bunch of damage on the charge for the impact hits. Ogres can't stomp me back, so I take away those attacks there. They got a long enough, and they've got swift strides, so they got a long enough charge and a fast enough charge. They can oftentimes get the jump on the ogres to prevent them from getting those impact hits from the ogre charges. And now I'm locked up with them. Yeah, the ogres got a bunch of attacks back, and I'm eventually, I, I'm committed that I'm eventually going to lose the units to say like a small ogre block or uh, even an iron gut block. Uh But I'm going to be able to soften that unit up a bunch, maybe even bust it if I get a good, I get really lucky on the charge and they fail a break check. I guess ideally you'd want some backup to help you finish them off. Exactly. They are kind of expensive. To exactly, but I can tie them at something like that. I can lock something up for a while and then be able to while I'm finishing while the rest of my army finishes off the bigger threat, then I can back them up. You know, you know anything. Anytime you can lock something up for you know three rounds of combat, your turn, their turn, and back to your turn. Well, that gives you an opportunity then to get them the support that they need. So. You can kind of take advantage of that with a with a bigger block, but I've seen people run smaller blocks like units of three chariots because you've got an incredible amount of damage output on a single charge. Yep, I know it's something you've done a lot personally. I've I've tried the idea, but I don't think I've ever mastered it for sure. I mean, I I don't know how many chariots I own. I think it's probably like sixteen or something. And I've tried doing like a chariot heavy army, but I've never had too much success with it. Chariot horde! Yes. <laughs> you know, it needs to be 10 wide. It's, that is another thing that they did point out. The chariots get the three wide to get the ranks. Yep. And for each rank beyond the first of chariots, you get to add plus one strength to your impact hit. So they mm-hmm. only start out at measly strength four, but you get that bigger block of chariots, you can get strength, you know, strength five, strength six impact hits. The thing that That's they missed then unit. is that you don't they, they didn't also give like the ogres like an ogre or a monstrous infantry unit you get to be six wide you can go horde. Uh-huh. Chariots didn't get that rule. Didn't mention. So that. <laughs> you know I can be three wide I get a rank but then I've got to be in order to horde my chariots I got to be ten wide and I you know honestly I think people would field hordes of chariots if they could do six wide chariot hordes. Do you get a benefit from being a horde if you're a chariot though? I don't know that you really do either, and I wish they would have yeah. added that in the book. Because, yeah, that would be a hard hit if you're hit by that many chariots. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would just been like, oh, Get my like- God, it just took a boatload of impact hits, you know, and then I turn around and take, like, a pile of extra attacks. I think there should have been the option for Horde. It's one of those staple kind of cool things that Aethad brought. They, they, I think that was a miss by GW Spark. But the chariots are still really good, and I think... It's one of the things that helps spells out the difference between a Tomb King army, really makes a Tomb King army unique over a Vampire Count's army, is the chariots, adding the chariots in there, is because it's something that Vampire Counts don't have any access to. The other thing that's probably worth mentioning, too, with the chariots, is that they move eight. Yep. One of the Tomb King army-wide rules is that you can never march. Wah-wah. Yeah, it's very, it makes you it sad. All of a sudden, now you have a unit that you can get out there, and it moves more like a normal infantry block. So that's another reason why I personally like my big block with five with the tomb prints in it, because it I can get it somewhere where I need it, rather than okay, I need to lock up that whatever it is over here. I got a little, I got an ogre block over here that's that's uh you know six models. Well, I'm gonna lock it up with my chariots. And then I'm, I know I'm good for probably two or three rounds of combat and they're fast enough to get there 
to be able to do it. Whereas that skelly block, like that we were talking earlier about that big skelly block. Like four turns later for him to get <laughs> You've only got one, there's only one way that you can basically get in a, uh, the equivalence of a march move, and that's to cast a spell that's a bubble spell that lets your stuff move. And it's a signature spell in the lore, uh-huh. in the Nehakara lore. We'll talk, again, we'll cover that a little more in the, when we get the characters, but the, the whole idea is that, okay, well, if I shut down that spell, if my opponent shuts down that spell, all of a sudden my infantry block moves four inches a turn. Going it's pretty easy for your opponent to keep them, you know, minimally, you know, especially if you end up playing very defensive all of a sudden and they, and they play defensive and things go badly, like say, in the, say they cannonball off your casket of souls early or something like that. You and you where now all of a sudden like turn three or turn four you're like oh crud I'm not going to win this game or I'm not going to draw this game unless I start having to push it forward. Well, by then it's too late and you have to you you had to have commit. You really have to commit to moving on turn one or not moving with the Tomb Kings when you're playing that infantry slosh. But when you're playing like the chariots, you don't have to commit because now I can still capture i can i can move and advance out like in turn two or three without having to rely on some of the other synergy to make that unit actually operational and functional for me mm-hmm. i think one thing with the chariots i've always been kind of well it's kind of a tomb king wide theme is their low armor save yes i've been kind of disappointed with because they kind of disappear in a hurry even from like measly shooting like bow fire and stuff like that picks them off pretty easy yeah they, well they used to i mean the idea is that you I mean they're they're kind of following that egyptian ski schematic and the egyptians had light chariots and even in yep. the old book they defined them as light chariots and now they're just chariots which has made them a bit better but they you know they lost some of that free reform ability that they used to have which would have been really nice to still see on that unit uh-huh yeah that was definitely nice so what else do we have for core? Uh, the last two core, we got more, some more skeletons. These guys are on horses. So there's the regular skeleton horsemen. Those are spear-armed guys. And then there's the horse archers. Okay. Now, what are the special unit rules on the the uh, the, ho- the, uh, well, the, the regular, regular horsemen? The regular horsemen, they got Vanguard. Which is, you know, honestly, really cool. Now, the, the one complaint here is that you don't have... Uh, I, any, you don't have, you don't get the Tomb Prince or the Tomb King support to this unit because you can't put them also on a skeleton horse. Yeah, and you can't put the, cha- you used to be able to put a chariot, chariot in a skeleton horse unit, but I don't think you can do that anymore. Yeah, that I don't, like I think the chariot units are, have a special rule for that. I don't think yep. you can do that. And the Tomb King's Road to War, that's what allows them to pair with the chariots, but can't do that with horsemen, so that's their biggest drawback because they're only weapon skill two. So, yeah. And, You're not going to get much done with that. But the vanguarding, you know, you can take a, a, you, you know, small units with this horseman, you can take the small units of, like, say, five, you can vanguard them out 12, and then move them eight, because they do move eight. There's yep. no barding or anything like that on these guys, so they still move eight. So you can, you can get them 20 inches out into the board to control or to get in the way or to chaff things up, and they're not too bad at points per model. The, the horsemen themselves are what? They're 12. They're 12. So not 12, too bad for Calgary. So 12 model. points a model to get a unit that you can basically jam out there in the middle of some, in the middle of the way. Well, you know, especially if you get turn one. So you can, you know, even if you don't get turn one, 12 inches out into the board, you shift them at an odd angle that's a pretty good vanguard and if you get first turn you get that extra push it forward eight inches 
you can really get in the way of something. And if you, especially if you're getting into that, like I'm going to play defensive and I'm going to shoot and drop rocks on you and throw spells at you and try to character snipe with some other spells or something that can really work well. But I like in that role, I like the skeleton horse archers a little better because they have the scout special rule as well as Vanguard. Yeah, it's pretty crazy for a cavalry unit. Now they, <laughs> unfortunately, when they charge something, are are even worse because they don't have spears. <laughs> yep. And nor, the nor bows shields. are kind of like, uh, you know, five, five, you know, five ballistic skill two shots at with strength three arrows really aren't going to take out war machines or anything <laughs> like that. But you can really get those guys way out there in into in the in somebody's grill and into somebody in in the way of somebody's movement really really early in the game to buy yourself that extra turn of maybe positioning or that extra turn of being able to drop missile fire into units that really help you get the edge that you might need with a Tomb King army. So I think that's all the core, right? That's it. Okay, so there's a lot of choices in core to to be t- to kind of customize up and get that feel of whatever you want to shape your Tomb King's army around. Why have you disturbed our sleep? Awakened us from our ancient slumber. You will die! Like the others before you. One by one we will take you. So let's move into special then. But yeah, moving on to the special, there's a lot of cool stuff in here. This is like the meats and potatoes of the Tomb King army, right? For sure. Some of the coolest units by far. So what what's kind of your favorite special choice to take? Favorite special? Um, I don't know. That's kind of hard to say. There's quite a few of them I like. We can start with the ones I definitely don't like, but you see a lot of would be like the Necropolis Knights. The Necropolis Knights, probably the best rules choice in the special slot, or at least really close to the best. Pretty much these are a staple on every single Tomb King player's army, and I would say that almost every single Tomb King's player that's putting these on the board says the same thing, that these models are ugly, and it does not make sense that I, I, I have stand skeletons, <laughs> tomb guard that are surfing on top of these these snakes. I mean, these, these models that are not very agile, very slow, very low initiative, all of a sudden... Hey, mod, we're surfer dudes on these <laughs> snake statues. The snakes themselves, I think, are pretty cool. Bleh. But the... I hate the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> How do you really feel? <laughs> I don't know. Too bad they're so good, because it seems like you almost need them in the frickin' army. But I just refuse to put them on the they, table. They were the first Monsters Cav unit, so there's, uh, they're not near, nearly as good as any of the other Monsters Cav. But they still chew up infantry really well. Yeah, they're still, they're still killing good. blow on the riders. There's poison on the snakes. Yep. Which I don't know. I don't necessarily understand how how a statue because that's what they're, they're, on them or something. they're an animated statue <laughs> gets poisoned i'm not sure how that works but okay i'll i'll go with it but uh yeah they're really good unit really strong and they can tear up some infantry in a hurry they're definitely a staple in my list i always include four of them if i can even though i don't have them built and painted completely yet <laughs> so how are you playing for them well i played them before <laughs> january 1st of 2013 i played them and they were really good in my 2K list, so I really liked them. They they served a role. They were a really good role for me because I could run, I could I could kind of bunker up in the center with my archers and my defensive units, you know, my defensive ranged attack units. And then on my one flank, I'd have those skeleton chariots, that big skeleton chariot unit, you know, like I described. And on the other flank, I'd put four of these guys, 
and that would be enough to kind of hold my flanks. I could hold most anything off my flanks that I needed to with those two units while I pushed up the center. My other favorite, my probably the other best special choice unit that you can take in the list, the War Sphinx. Thunder! 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 Thundercats! Talk you don't have one. very many of those, do you? I have, <laughs> I think, four of them right now. <laughs> and closing in on number five for the purchase probably in the next month or two. I'd say they're definitely another big staple you see in most armies, don't you? You always see at least one. I, I Honestly, if you're going to, you either bring two or you don't bring any is what I would tell people to do. That makes sense. Anybody that's got cannonballs or whatever, you need to, you need to target saturate. Otherwise, um, these guys get popped off the board. So in, in my list, and the reason I have so many of them, or one of the reasons I have so many of them is that I do the whole War Sphinx spam list, which is I put three of them. I mean, I take three special choices. I take three <laughs> of them. And you always buy them with the breath weapon because that, you know, it's a strength four breath weapon. So you can drop that in combat. I've watched these guys just obliterate units single-handedly. When you can get them in, you can get them into an infantry block. It's just, you take the guy, there's four guys, two, four tomb guard in the top. They're right in this basket. They all have killing blows. You take those four models, you throw them at a character in the unit. Hope, looking for that killing blow. I can't tell you how many characters I've killing blowed out of units. They, you know, generals, battle standards, whatever from those four attacks. They kind of sets because they go in a higher initiative than the monster that sets your stage for what you can do with a monster. You can look at the unit, oh, hey, is that unit weapon skill 3? Is it weapon skill 2? Is it toughness 3 or toughness 4 with, like, light to medium armor? Well, I'll swap all my attacks for a single Thunder Crush, drop that 3-inch, you know, hitting out of 3, drop that 3-inch template on a unit. You know, it might only be strength 3. The monster's only got 4 base attacks, so when you're swinging at, you know, infantry, I'd rather drop that 3-inch template than drop 4 attacks in a unit. And I can always gauge that against infantry by how well the dudes on top did. And then I can still always pop that breath weapon if I need to, if I haven't popped it already, that same initiative action. And then I always still have the Thunder Stomp on those infantry, so I can pump out a lot of damage in a single round of combat against an uh, infantry block. I like. I love getting these guys into elves. I love getting these guys into <laughs> into uh, Empire infantrymen. Skaven, oh, if you can survive the Skaven onslaught of damage getting in, War Sphinx just eat just eat Skaven. They just fly. It's like thunder, 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 kitty, ho! <laughs> it's just awesome. I love, I love my, I love my uh, war sphinxes. Love your sphinxes. I don't necessarily care for the models as much as I, I would. I don't like them either. I've gotten, <laughs> I've gotten to like them more as I've painted them up, and I've gotten paint schemes on them that I like better than what the GW has showed in their sure. pictures. I'm, I'm not liking any of GW's painting lately. I'm not sure what they changed, but. There's, there was some of the stuff in the Warriors with the Warriors release and the Demons release that I kind of like. Like that's okay, but yeah, a lot of the new stuff seems like they're really trying hard to get the contrast to show or something on the models, and I'm not biting into yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I don't play the War Sphinx myself just because I don't like the idea. Like well. and or own one. Yep, <laughs> but that for the same sense. reason the Necropolis Knights, but they're definitely good. They're definitely a really solid choice. I would definitely not tell somebody to not to take one. For, yeah, most you know, and, and you can if you don't like the model, and you can always find a model that you can like. I think these are 
for me personally, these are more of a staple even than the Necronites, but I think the Necronites as a whole are more more of a staple in the in most Tomb King yeah, armies. Usually. Um, so what else do we have for special? Now we've kind of talked to the two big ones. Yep. I guess we can go back to some skeleton type guys. We got Tomb Guard, which are one of your favorite ones, and I usually have them in there. I guess that's kind of unusual. I don't think they're a very popular choice at all. Well, I, I do, I do think they can be really good. And there's a couple of ways you can make them really good. Obviously, you get that, you get that my will be done rule going with the Tomb Prince or Tomb King, so yep. you can confer their weapon skill over. And then there's another. The obviously they come built in with Killing Blow. Yeah, which is awesome. And if you can hoard them up in like a 40 or 50 model horde. So are you going, they do have available halberds. Would you do that or with the hand weapon shield? That's, that's the debate is do you do hand weapon and shield or do you do halberds? And I, I don't know exactly which way to go. I think is, is the right way. Cause while the one way with going hand weapon and shield, you know, against infantry and whatever, you still got killing blow to nuke to take care of armor, uh-huh. armor. So when you're taking against like, say, you know, cavalry, you know, basic cavalry or basic infantry, you still got that killing blow, you can chop that up. So it's probably more when you're seeing monsters and stuff. Now it's like when that. you start seeing monsters and you start seeing those monsters calve, like the Mornfing and stuff that are immune to the killing blow attacks. That's or you know, you get against the ogres, you know, and you don't you don't get that killing blow. Then you start questioning, well, do I want that or not? The other thing I evaluate is that parry, you know, Tomb Kings do not have a very good regeneration rate. Nope. That's one of the things they really struggle at, the magic phase, is they don't they don't come back from being dead. Yeah, you definitely can't rely on it at all. It's like a little bonus, but yeah, yeah it's you like, can't. ooh, I got a couple models back, but it's uh-huh. not like like woohoo. I'm getting lots of guys back. No, not at all. Um it's not like Vampire Counts like, oh well there was I took twenty off last turn and they hey, brought twenty five back this turn, <laughs> you know. So you have that. So I think that makes the halberd. Plus, you got to pay a points upgrade to get the halberd. If I remember, yeah, right. it's two points for the halberd. They are strength four, toughness four to begin with. So they'll be strength five with the halberds. Pretty. So, cool. so I mean, the halberd hoarded up could be really good. And I think that's honestly the way I'm going to build them is halberds when I get my when I get when I actually buy the unit. But I don't think that that's my particular. I think I think honestly, if you to honest to God, I think the. Uh, Hand weapon shield is the is the better way to feel this unit. Sure, I have the old model, so I've always played hand weapon shield, and I never expected them to be over the top. But just alone with the tomb prince or tomb king in them, they're pretty solid. Yeah, and you can always unit. jam that necrotech in here as well to get them that hatred reroll. Yep. So again, you start you start buffing up the synergies, and they do. If I remember right, they're one of the other units that can take a magic banner. Yeah, they can actually take one up to fifty points. So here you can you know you take that you could get that I think. Just, There's a regeneration one in the Yeah, they do board. have a bound regeneration spell banner, I think. So you can get, yep. I think it's D6 wound, models back or wounds back. Yep. You obviously, then you can a- open up access to maybe something like the Razor Standard if you want to be able to deal with that armor a little bit better, but you still want that hand weapon and shield. There's a couple of options that you have here. So, so that, I, I, you know, anyways, I think that covers the Tomb Guard pretty well. Yep. What else do we have that are special that kind of catches the eye? I usually see Tomb Scorpions pretty often. Yes, especially more recently. They they weren't necessarily as popular when because they do come with a couple of rules, and one of them was that Entomb Below the Sands rule. You love that, don't you? I hate <laughs> that rule. I and mean, that was like an auto not include in the list for me. When, because when Have it you was tried re- it more than when it's gone horribly wrong for you? Though? 
<laughs> I've tried it. I've tried it a few times. You can't rely on it because you don't yeah. know. The thing with the attune behind below the sands is that some sometime you're going to place a marker on the board at some point in the future of the battle. You're going to roll a dice, place a marker on the table, and then roll an artillery and scatter, and hopefully you don't misfire on the artillery. So it's going to come up somewhere between two and ten inches, or from zero to ten inches from wherever that marker spot is on the board. Uh-huh. You don't necessarily know what turn it's going to come up because that's rolled randomly, and you might roll a misfire and have something horrible happen, like your stuff doesn't come up at all, it gets lost, and you give it up as just free victory points without ever it doing a thing in the game. Uh-huh. So, and, and on top of that, when it does pop, it, you, your opponent had it. It's a free being able to deal with it because it cannot charge the turn it comes yeah, up either. I think that was a big mistake between That's, this book and the last one. I probably only do it for nostalgia's sake, but not being able to charge when you come up is kind of lame. Yeah, it really, it really, it really takes that. If you could charge with it, I think it's more of an auto include and maybe a more of an auto. I'm just going to do that with. I'll, I'll take two or three scorpions and I'll definitely do that with one. But since I can't charge when it comes up. That really makes that whole rule kind of pointless. And when they first came out with the book, it was ruled that you had to, if it had the Entomb Below the Sands, it had to be deployed that way. And since then, Games Workshop has FAQ'd it so that you don't have to bury it below the sands, that you have the option to deploy it that way. And I think that's the right way. I think that's the intended way that they meant for it to be played. And because you don't have to, because I can deploy it normally, I, it's a great chaff type unit. Tomb Kings just struggle with chaff units. Or with chaff units, I mean small units that are disposable that you can throw away to kind of redirect or put in a put it in a position to to take a charge or to get you know cause some kind of um, chaos and disruption in your opponent's battle plan via other movement because movement is so big in fantasy. So now all of a sudden these are they're fairly fast with a movement of seven. They're strength five, toughness five, poison, killing blow, so they can the character assassinate, you know, that turn that I'm gonna go in and and get them in the way of something. Well I can put them so that no matter what, you know, that one inch away from my opponent's unit, I'm also putting them maybe one inch where they're right there in front of so when they come charging in they have to line up that BSB against me. So now all of a sudden I get when they do come in a charge and I know I'm going to lose my tomb scorpion and I know I'm going to set them up at that bad angle. I got that chance of killing blow out that character. I got that chance of killing blow out that, you know, unit champ or whatever it might be in that unit to give me that edge later in the game. Yeah, that's what I like to use them for the most is attempt at a character assassination because more often than not they can get the job done. Yep, and they're still, you know, and they're a construct. I mean, that's one of the things we didn't talk about the War Sphinx. But they have the construct rule too, so they do, you know, they, anything that's undead, you suffer wounds for every point of combat resolution you you lose by. Well, with the animated construct rule, you suffer one less wound. So all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, it's a three wound monster. Yeah, it's only got a five up armor save because of the animated construct rule. But you get you suffer one less wound, and that can that can be really big. When you're going into combat, you are toughest five. That unit that's got, say, three ranks and a banner and a charge against you, you know, maybe their strength, if there's strength three unit, like, say, you know, a piddly unit of elven uh, spear elves, they might go in and, and assume that they can get at least a wound on you. They go in with their three ranks and a banner and a charge. They get a res, combat res of five. If they whiff, that's only two runes of combat res. You suffer one less. You only take a wound, you know. 
they whiff and you get a couple attack, you get a couple of wounds yourself. You know, you could stick and that that unit could stick and not uh you not uh, auto pop there. So I think that's a, a neat little aspect to those. And I and I love double charging with them because they you know and they also they're a monster. They do get a stomp attack. You know, a yep. monstrous beast. They do get a stomp attack. So not a terrible buy at the eighty five points. So definitely something I have two of them in my lit that I feel a lot. So I, I definitely good unit. Yeah, I always have them in mind too. Uh, next up, we got Ushabti. These are some of the coolest looking guys, if you ask me. Ushabadi? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I used to say that all the time. I don't know why, but no, Ushabti. Definitely, this is one of those signature cliche kind of Egyptianish looking. You know, they take on this those various the bird and the whatever that's the cat or the dog or whatever it There's is. There's a jackal and or a the, yeah, jackal alligator and a snake. And yeah, the bird, like the so or whatever it is. You know the different the different aspects of like essentially the Egyptian god type stuff. Yeah, because they're supposed to be like god statues. They're more constructs, so they're a monster, monstrous infantry. So, so yeah, big guys with animal heads. So and they are armed with great weapons. I think in this book, right? They do come with great weapons, but they do actually have upgrades now, so you don't have to have great yep. weapons. You can upgrade them to bows. Bows or even an additional hand weapon, and that's just for free. No points cost at all. So and it's, it's actually a great bow, so it's so not a regular. Strength 6 and pierces ranks or something like that, if I um, remember No, right. that's like the bow of the desert. I think the great bow is just strength 4 Here, or here we know our rules. So this is obviously the an option that Brian... I, I've neither, never fielded them with the bows either. Yeah, neither of us have fielded them, and you own like four of them? Or I guess it is strength 6, but... It's it's not the piercing one. Okay, the so it's just strength, just a strength six shot. Strength six, 30-inch range. And they're a ballistic skill two or three? Two. Two. So you're only going to hit on fives, but you the do usual. wound. Yeah. You're not, you are wounding on you know strength six, so that's not too bad. It's pretty good if you're shooting at something big. But, again, you're they're how many points a pop? 50. So you're paying 50 points a model for three or four shots a lot of times because after that you don't have a you know if you're only fielding you know it's hard to justify fielding more than four. Yeah, that's what know. I've always fielded is four, but as a fighting unit, I mean that's quite a lot of hits in that small frontage. Now so I've gotta, always taken them. Now I got a friend of mine that's on the Warhammer scene that's playing Lizardmen right now. Uh-huh. His name's Michael Jordal, and Michael is doing a horde of Croxigor. How's that so work? 18 Crocs of Gore. He actually did really well at Adepticon because people are like, ooh, I'm playing against Lizardman. I'm going to play against that Slon list or whatever. And, oh, no, here's this massive <laughs> Crocs of Gore, and it just deletes whatever it ends up running into. Yeah, I know we've always talked about that with Lushapti. I've never had enough to do it myself. You don't. I'm, I'm either, working towards it. I'm up to seven. It's in your mind, yeah. Yeah, I'm up to seven. <laughs> That's one of the things I want to do with my Tomb Kings before they get shelved. Cool, because yeah, they can have full command in there in their infantry unit. So, and then you're only six wide for the. Yep, six wide for the horde. So I need eighteen shopty. I'll have to convert up a banner and musician and champion. But yeah, there's not a model available for that. But. And unfortunately, they're uh, fine cast currently. So I'm not buying any of the fine cast models. I've been shopping eBay here and there oh, really to, to fill in metal. the old metal ones. So anybody out there that's listening to this and it's got some old, you know, metal. Ushapti and wants to get rid of them, you know, send me an email at bcone at wiscodice.com and I'll, we'll talk what we could either trade or buy, whatever I can buy them off you for. 
definitely looking for those. I think I think there's a lot of things you can do with a Ushapti, though. I, I the additional hand weapon thing has me intrigued, but since there isn't a model for that, that's a lot of conversion work to like yeah. say pump out a unit of eighteen of them, and they are only base strength four, if I remember right. Yeah, they do have three attacks apiece. So yeah, I mean it's, four, it's but... standard ogre type. Yeah. Type model, but three attacks apiece, strength four really isn't, and their weapon skill four, right? Yeah. So, they mean, at least their weapon skill four, but yeah, I just, that, I just can't get into, I can't quite get into doing additional hand weapons with them. I think I want to do, cause they're not really high initiative either. I think they're only like initiative three, maybe. Yep, three, which is pretty quick for the Tomb King. Yeah. It's faster than Undead Army. <laughs> yeah. And it would be nice, like, when you're fighting against ogres, because now you're swinging before the ogres in most cases. But I'm going to swap them up. I'm definitely doing mine great weapons. I'm going to go for the killing power in that 18 model block. I'm going to be looking for some spell support to maybe help survivability on that block. Yeah, they just have the construct, so the 5-up save is all is not yeah, which too isn't good. stellar, but... And I liked them in the old book a little more. Instead of great weapon, they just had, like, huge weapons, which they still had the strength benefit, but they weren't striking last. Yes. So... That's kind of a downer. They did go down in points, though. I think they're 50 points. I think they were a little more before. I still think, I think they're, they're a bit overpriced for what they can do. Probably. But, I think that's kind of a, a but, theme. Uh, yeah, considering considering what like an Iron Gut comes in at, and an Iron Gut is generally as good, if not better. Yeah, probably better. Because they have a impact hit from a charge and stuff like that that the, yep. these guys don't get. But otherwise... They're uh, still cool. I mean, the fact that you you have a block that can never break. I, you know, the other thing is I wish there was a way to get a character in this block. You know, there was some kind of Ushapti character or some kind of big 40 mil type monster character kind of thing that you could you could put in this block to kind of help give it a little more signature feel or flavor feel. But since they didn't do new models for it, I don't think that was something they scripted or planned on doing. They did do the bow models, though. They did do that. Ass, but um, kind of a weird character to have. But it would be a nice benefit. Okay. So what else we have in special? I don't think we very rarely see them. Tomb Swarms? I don't think you ever use them. No. Oh, my God. Tomb Swarms are <laughs> swarms bad. Swarms in general are just bad. And, and these are even, you know, just as bad, if not worse. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's five wounds a pop or whatever they are. Uh -huh. But they crumble. They're hit by everything. They're thunderstomped yeah. by everything, pretty much, you know. Or stomped or thunderstomped, you know they they they're just there's just they're overpointed for do nothing. Yeah, they're forty points a piece and never really seem to. I do get anything. the same. They, they are poison, but yeah, you never really see. Them I do can get anything. the same function out of a tomb swarm. I can get out of a unit of skeletons. So yeah, they do have the entomb beneath the sands, but that doesn't matter. Yeah, to you. <laughs> since we've already <laughs> described how bad that rule is, uh, I like it. But yeah, it's it, it's, it's flavorful. It's kind of neat to pop something up, but unless you you can't count on it. Yep, I've so, tried playing them a few times. There is a unit, though, that that rule does work very well on. And the that's the Sepulchral Skulkers, which we haven't talked about. Yep, I've now, never played them. I have not played them yet. I am I'm going to build a unit of them, and I've seen them played against me. Oh, yeah. And the, the technique is, is that you use the Entomb Below the Sands, sure. and when they do pop, because they have a ranged attack... And you if you want to look up how the range attack phase. works, you can tell us how that Transform works. Me, uh, transformifying gaze. That's kind of a weird thing to say. <laughs> but it like it's like a Medusa kind of style attack. Yes. If I can find the exact. But basically you use that. You pop them up for that attune below the sands. They can still move when they pop. So you can yep. move them and then fire this special attack. And you target like a monster, like a hydra. Like it was used against me. It basically they popped it up behind my hydra. 
use that attack, delete it a Hydra. Uh-huh. Because, yeah, I guess it's 8-inch range and no roll to hit at all. It just kind of auto-hits, and it suffers a number of automatic hits. Uh, and then rolling, well, I can't talk. <laughs> Reading is hard. Yeah, I totally read it, and then I completely forgot. All right, so they don't shoot, but you roll an artillery dice for the number of hits, which is quite a lot of hits. And then rolling to wound, you actually target the initiative value instead of the toughness. Which is really good against a lot of monsters out there, because most For monsters sure. are not very high initiative at all. So all of a sudden, you're popping up behind a monster. Oh, hey, there was a Gorgon there. There was a Hydra there. Whoop, it's not there anymore. Now, sure, you're probably going to lose the unit, but since since a unit of... These are how many points a pop? They're 55. So you're you're looking at like a unit of three of them. You're looking at... Yeah, you have to have at least three. Yeah, what is Seven, it? 175. Yeah, 175? Yep. So you're looking at, yeah, 175-ish for a unit. That's not terrible when you're going up like, oh, hey, I pop the unit. It pops up. I delete a Hydra. Now I lose. if I lose a unit, well, they earn their points back. Yep. There's very few things in the Tomb King's book that you can have that kind of one-to-one one, one one relationship that you can just on its own, it can do, it can earn its points back in almost every game it plays. And that's one of those few units that really kind of does that. So... Not that I'm saying I take it to my list. I don't even have a unit built yet, but I've yeah. seen it do that very effectively. And as you start seeing more of these like Warriors of Chaos armies that are fielding three Chimeras and multiple chariots and whatever, that can be a, you know, well, I guess Warriors are probably a little bit higher initiative. I think the Chimeras aren't quite as high initiative, though. But with that kind of number of hits, they're, you know, going to fail some of those leadership checks or those initiative checks. Yeah, because you don't have a whole lot of options to deal with monsters in the Tomb Kings either well and those would be one thing to do it for sure yep definitely it's definitely a good way to deal with a monster i think there's a better way that we get into when we get to the rares that's a better way for dealing with with monsters a couple of them but yeah definitely but good okay almost there got one last thing carrion carrion i don't think you have them painted up i yet. don't own carrion currently, oh, you don't own but i really want to build i know you like the these. idea of them i used to play them all the time but i haven't gotten them in a list yet now, the bonus of these is that they fly, and unfortunately you can't march. So you're moving 10, but you also are getting the swift stride because you fly, you swift stride, and you're skirmish now because you're a fl flying unit. Yep. And the models have, I think, what, two attacks they're pop? They're still pretty good. They actually have three attacks. They're war beasts, strength four, toughness four, weapon skill three. Now, the problem is they are war beasts, so they can be stomped and thunder stomped. But yep. three attacks a pop for a unit that has move 10 and swift stride means that you can get this unit into something where you need it. You can start to use this unit to go after, to be a chaff hunter, and to reliably kill other chaff units. Yeah, and war machines, too. So, and it's, again, it's Tomb King's struggle in that chaff department. How many points was a uh, carrion? 24. 24. So you can get a unit of three of them for, and I think a three is a minimum unit size? Yeah. So you can get a unit of three of them for under 75 points, which means it's a great little chaff unit, and you can put two or three of them on the board. And I think that's one of the things that when I get my Tomb Kings a little bit more filled out, that I will have two units of these in my list. Yeah, I tried them when the book first came out, and I failed miserably at them, so I haven't put them back in yet. But I think I could see the benefit of them for sure. All right, so I think we've been talking for a while here, so let's go ahead and we'll take another break. And when we come back... We'll go ahead and sum up the rare units, and then we'll get into all the character choices, the stuff that's good, the stuff that's bad.
What what what's that place? The last the last circle? The the last triangle? No wait, the last square. That's what it is. The last square located on O'Dana Road. Have you been there? Yeah. Yeah, they have the huge selection of miniatures. Everything from five millimeter scale all the way up to twenty five, twenty eight, everything you could imagine. Yeah, it's the basically the war game store of Madison, Wisconsin. With every wargaming need, you can just about imagine or think you wanted, and a lot of things you didn't even know you wanted. Exactly. They also have model railroads and rockets. All sorts of good stuff for the geek in ya. All right. And if you can't get to the square, you can always check them out on their website, thelastsquare.com. Exactly. Okay, and we are back once again. Groovy. So we're going to go ahead and jump into Rare, I think, next. Is that right? Yep, that's it. All right, so let's go ahead and talk Tomb King Rare. There's quite a few really good choices here. Quite a few. Uh, there's definitely one for sure, I think. Marion, don't look at it. Shut your eyes, Marion. Don't look at it no matter what happens. I've never, I don't know why you wouldn't take it. Casket of Souls. Yep, that is a super auto-include. It's probably like, yeah, must-have. So that's one of the coolest units, I would say. Just flat out. Looks really cool. It, it works really effective. It's, it's the best. It's, there's very few auto includes in the Tomb King list. There's uh-huh. a lot of things you can kind of play around. It's kind of a diverse list as far as the, how, what kind of choices I want to do. I want to do construct heavy. Do I want to go shooty heavy? But one of the things that's always in there is this. And why is that? Why is the casket of souls that auto include? The light of death. <laughs> it comes in at 135 points, so it's really cheap Only for what it does. Only 135, yep. It, the Light of Death, which is a really crazy bound, innate bound spell, right? Yep, so even when you miscast, you still got it. Yep, it, you can't lose it ever for miscasting. So, so. better whip some six dice at it. <laughs> yeah, you can whip your six dice without fear. And it's good enough to spend the six dice on, that's for sure. Definitely, especially early in the game. I've wiped out units, uh, big chunks of units of Mornfang where they panicked off the board on first turn. Yep. I can use, I've used this on monsters before to just pop, auto pop monsters. I've used this on like cavalry blocks, anything with, anything with armor. One of the things yeah, I find sure. my Tomb King struggle against is, is armor. And so anything with armor, this is really good at deleting that kind of stuff because it's, it's what? It's at the 3d6 leadership check on that unit. Yep. And everything they fail it by is a wound, no armor save. Yep. Then. So it deletes stuff pretty well. And it, you know, 3d6, leadership, for every point you fail by, you take a wound, no armor save. So, and then it bounces to another unit within six inches on a three plus. Yep. And just keeps bouncing until it runs. It can't affect the same unit more than one. It can't affect a unit that it's already affected. Yeah, until you run out of targets or fail that roll, it can. Do a whole army if you target. It yeah, and I've had it. I like I've played against like I was playing against a gentleman with his brats, and we were doing I think a two K game. So this was like back in December or something last year, and he he lined up like three three lances pretty close together, and I hit all three of them. Ouch! And I like took out like <laughs> six Grail knights and like three or four knights of the realm and. I think you're like just the peasant bane of knights. knights or something. Huh? I think you're just the bane of knights. Like anything you do just seems to kill the crap out of Bretonia. <laughs> At least when I play. Yeah, I wasn't playing against you, but yeah, it was, it was just bing, bing, bing. And like that was pretty much a setup the now I, I'm in control to win this game. Like I was really afraid of those grail knights. Now all of a sudden, boop, they're gone. You know, there's a couple of them. I can deal with two grail knights. I can't deal with like a lance of eight. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, yeah, I mean, you got that. The other big thing that it does is it always, and it doesn't matter how many caskets you have, as long as you have a casket of souls on the board, you get D3 power dice every time in your magic phase. Yeah, that's huge. And we all know, yeah, it's hard to get extra dice. So being able to get those extra dice really makes it, uh, that really helps push it to that auto-include kind of thing. Yeah, especially if you have the flub roll, it kind of saves your... Now, one of the things I forget with this is that it also, when it dies, when you, when its casket guard are lost, and it takes its basically three wounds of casket guard, it explodes. Yeah, it's not too huge of a deal. But yeah, a 12-inch bubble around the thing, and on a, you roll D6, every friendly unit on a 4-plus, they suffer D6, strength 6 hits. So that can be kind of big. Now, typically my strategy is I have my Hyro Bunker, which is usually 20 archers, uh -huh. which I just finished painting up. I finally got all 20 of them done. And my necro, my necro, my Hierophant goes in there. Not Necro, he's a Hierophant. And then right behind that unit, usually one inch behind that unit, I put my Casket of Souls. So, you know, my game's probably wrecked anyways if you've already gotten to that 20-man skeleton unit and have <laughs> killed that plus the Hierophant and have overrun into that. So at that point, I don't really have a lot of stuff within 12 inches of that thing, and my game's probably in... I'm in deep I'm in deep trouble at that point probably anyways, so it doesn't matter for me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's important to know, and I definitely have missed that myself at tournaments, so that's a, an important rule because it's not like, oh, yeah, my thing blows up now. So and I've I've actually talked about uh, some other people like Dave Benerick about how, things you can use the casket with. So uh, he's talked a lot about putting it in like one because it is a, you can only affect things that are in your forty five. You know your initial target has to be in that forty five degree arc. Yep. So he's talked a lot about putting it like in the far in the far table corner in one of the far board corners and just angling it so that it's at a forty five degree angle with the rest of that corner so that you can basically see the entire battlefield and since that. Bound spell has like I think a forty eight inch range for what it can target for that initial target. The initial target, yep. So you can hit something, you nearly cover the entire board that way, and you can see the entire board that way. So that's uh really big too with a casket. Moving on though, let's go ahead and talk about the other choices. We've talked about the kind of the auto include. Uh-huh. I don't think you see it very often anymore, but another ranged item got screaming skull catapult. That's one that if you're going to take it, take two. And I don't own two, so I don't take it. Yeah, I don't. I have two of them. I don't think I've played it in the new edition with them. I guess compared to being able to rapid fire them in the last edition, <laughs> they don't seem as fun as before. Because it was kind of ridiculous yeah. before, but. There was that dropping three to four rocks a turn yep. out of them that was <laughs> kind of crazy. But. Uh, they're still a, a, a stone thrower. They're still you can still cause panic checks. Yeah, regular stone thrower. Uh, they do. Yeah, auto pan panic. Yeah, every time you suffer anything that suffers damage from it can uh, take an auto wound. They also have an upgrade for skulls of the foe, so you can make that at a minus one. Yep. In this day and age, with all the battle standard bearers and stuff out there, if you can't find a way to reduce that leadership more than just one. You're probably not gonna panic stuff, you know, likely unless it's on the edge. Yeah. So at that point, I strongly for the high points that you have to pay to get the skulls of the foe. I think it's a waste of points. But the the double, they're only the uh, they're only what ninety points or something. They're pop. ninety. So they're ninety points a pop for a something that you can use to. You could fire two of them and kind of count at maybe one hit on a monster at strength nine. You know, one hole. Of that stone, so you can take you can you can use them for 
you know, in tandem to take out monsters. You can use them. A lot of big horde blocks. You can use them to, you know, soften up those hordes before they get to you. There's a lot of things that you can use them for that tend to be really good. I tend to run a lot of my lists in particular. I tend to run a lot of constructs with three or more War Sphinx on the board, the Necronites. I'm a very target-rich environment. I'm very strongly thinking when I move to 2,400 points to put two of these in the list just to help further target, make that target rich environment. You know, when you're playing against Empire armies or the double skill cannon army or the double iron blaster army where you got all these cannons, make your, make your opponent have to really question, does he, does he shoot at my war sphinxes on turn one and risk me firing my, my, my stone throwers at his cannons and taking one, if not two cannons off the board on turn on my turn one, if I don't get first turn, or if I do get first turn, I get a chance of taking a cannon off the board before they can fire. So I, I think they're very strong choices in that rare slot. Yeah, for sure. Most of these rares seem pretty good. So uh, next up, we have another Sphinx, the Necro Sphinx. The Necro Sphinx. I absolutely hate this thing. <laughs> I like the idea of it, but gameplay doesn't seem to. Oh, work my problem, out very well unfortunately my problem with it is that it you lose in comparison you're paying almost the same points or more points it's than you would more for a war sphinx for a, yeah more compared to a war sphinx where the war sphinx comes with eight attacks base four of which have killing blow this thing has five attacks one of which has heroic killing blow yeah only one and and it's heroic killing blow and still does d6 wounds or something like that if i remember right um, maybe it does. I think maybe it's, it's just, just heroic, heroic killing blow. blow. I'm thinking it was maybe something it's else. It's a decapitating strike, yeah. But yeah, it's not that. It's just, yeah, heroic killing blow. Okay, it's strength so just, 10, too. Yeah, str- so one of its attacks is strength 10, heroic killing blow. Yep. So, yeah. And no breath weapon. Yeah, no breath weapon. I think you can buy you poison, can get though, the for poison it. poison on it, yep. Yeah. It does fly. I, yeah, it does fly. And it has but, regular killing blow. So but, you can get it there. It does come with regular killing blow yeah. entirely. So four attacks at regular killing blow, one attack at heroic killing blow, one attack that one attack at heroic killing blow is also strength ten. I, I'm not buying into it. It's it's and it's the other kicker is it's initiative one. Yep. So all of your all of your anti there's all the stuff that people are bringing to deal with ogres and whatever that's all anti initiative. These guys are gonna just pop off the board you know you're not making somebody have to cannon you off if they can magic you off the board on turn one you yeah know? i think if you want a sphinx you should go with the war sphinx it's uh, just yeah. better so it's kind of a shame because it, it's kind of an okay looking model i, I think it's a ne- neat way to the to, to the kit um i know they like making the dual kits but i'm really not a fan of the the model at all either here so where I, where the war sphinx has a kind of that thunder kitty look that I kind of get into and I, I well I make a little fun of the thunder 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 kitty kind of thing it's it's kind of cool um this I like I like the upper half of the torso of the sphinx uh-huh. I wish that was actually like dual kitted with like a giant like a giant or something like that and not bolted onto that <laughs> cat torso cuz that you know the cast the cat body and legs cuz yeah, that just makes it look kind of silly and not right. And why doesn't it look more like an Egyptian sphinx and, and yeah. not this crazy, goofy-looking thing that it ends up being? So, yeah, definitely not a fan of it, both rules and appearance. So you were talking about giants. I think a lot of times that top half is used as a hero titan, one of the uh, other hero choices. Titan, this that... guy is a, a really good selection for a couple of reasons. First off, he comes with... The signature spell for the lore of death and lore of light. So you have a, 
uh, signature spell that you can cast, a bound spell for being able to do assassinations, and then I can't remember what the signature spell is on Lore of Light right now off the top of my head, but you get both those bound spells. It's just a burning gaze. I think it's just a magic missile. Yeah. Also built into this is the... Spirit Conduit. Yeah, the Spirit Conduit, which is... Uh, when you're within 12 inches of it, you actually add D3 to the casting result, which okay, is pretty cool. Okay, that's what that rule is, yep. Yeah. D3 extra to every single casting roll. So if you're wanting to throw two or three spells a phase, or even you want to, you know, you're wanting to you have a little bit more assuredness about throwing, say, maybe a one-dice spell at the end of the phase, you can. You have that ability to do that, because that extra D3 helps and it also gets that synergy then with that casket of souls because now your casket's giving you more dice and this guy is giving you more bang for each of your casting rolls so there's a lot of synergy there as well yeah it's going to help you make your magic phase effective for sure yeah and tomb kings can really power out a strong strong magic phase so then you get the other giant version yep called a necroth necrolith colossus now which is essentially the old bone giant. Yeah, it's kind of the fighty version of which, the hero titan. But which, in, yeah, it doesn't make sense. They still label the basically what this guy is as giant. the bone giant. Yeah. So they're like, <laughs> uh, what am I supposed to buy? Well, it's actually that's this is the bone giant model because he's he's got the what are his special rules? Uh, well, it's a construct again. Um, it can be armed with a great bow, which is the same strength six as the Ushapti could have, and it can have a bow of a desert, which is more or less a bolt thrower he's carrying around. Yep. And, but I guess as far as the combat goes, he has the unstoppable assault, which is pretty cool. Cause that is, if he, for every successful wound, every successful wound, he's getting another attack. And this can go on forever. Forever, <laughs> theoretically. But theoretically, it doesn't it, seem to in happen. In reality, very often. he's only got four attack space. He starts with four, yep. And you can give him an additional hand weapon. And he's weapon skill four? Uh, weapon skill three only. So weapon skill three, so he doesn't, He's only going to hit on four, so even with an additional hand weapon, you're going to hit two and a half times on most yep. things. You're going to wound with strength six on one or two of those, and then you, you know, you really get one. It's really like getting one point five ish wounds through, probably, probably yeah. a little less than that. If you roll so, it really awesome, it seems to work out pretty cool. But yeah, ninety percent of the time, if you get lucky. If you get lucky, this can be really good, but in reality, it ends up working out to like two wounds, and it peters out more times. If this guy was five attack space, or six attack space, or was weapon skill four, or weapon skill five, yeah, which is probably where he should be, I think this is a lot more attractive option. But since he's piddly weapon skill and and not very high attacks, yeah, I'm he, re- really disappointed in the new book. He lost the armor save. He used to have better. He used to have a three-up armor save, so it could yeah. at least stick around a while. That too, and the model does look like he's kind of armored yeah. and stuff too. So yep. yeah, if he would have, you know, anything, anything that would have helped him stick around longer or made that made his ability to kill things better would have really made him more of an attractive point. He's pretty yep. expensive points-wise for what yeah. he can do. 170, so if you're picking that or a hero titan, usually you're going with the hero titan. Yeah, I, I definitely... The, and the hero titan's not anything great in combat, but it no. is another thunderstomp. It is another target. Yep. And it actually ha- provides some synergy with the other things you're trying to do in the game. So and that's going to give you more benefit for about the same. Okay. Value. So was that all the rares? That's it. All right. So on to characters. Yeah. So we normally don't talk about char- when we get to characters in an army list. We don't talk about special characters very often we don't do a special character discussion but i think with tomb kings since you're you're looking at a list that's 
can struggle a little bit with all the synergies and trying to get things right. A lot of people are trying to, you know, are te- definitely taking a couple of these special characters and any tournament or any list that they can take special characters to. And the first one is that we want to talk about is Archon the Black. So, Brian, if you want to kind of give us a rundown of Archon the Black, uh, we're gonna, I'll go ahead and pop in when, yeah, when I have something to he's add. He's pretty cool fluff-wise, even. He was like the whatever. I can't think of the word of Nagash, his understudy kind of person. Uh, he's pretty neat. He's, I think he still counts as, yeah, he counts as a special, well, the high priest and the tomb king. And he, do, I think he does have to be the hero fan. Now, yeah, he is, he is the hierophant and the, and the tomb king all in the same, all in the same thing. Yep. He counts as both. And, and he, now we, we've been talking a lot about this hierophant thing, but basically the hierophant is this one signature character you have to have in the list who normally has to be the highest wizard with the lore of Nehekara. Yep. Which is the Tomb King's special magical lore, and the highest level wizard. And basically, when he dies, he's the magic that's kind of holding your entire army together. So your whole army starts to every turn starts to crumble and fall apart. And yep, and the phase fail. he dies, and then every start of every turn. And, and then basically, basically, it's the okay. You have a single character that dies, and then the entire army starts to fall apart. So we did. Hugely having to protect this guy. Now Archon builds all of that together, plus makes him a Tomb King, so he can be your army. G- he he's you know can be. He also gets the my will be done rule and stuff like that, so he can confer his weapon skill and stuff to a unit. Yep. So there's a lot of stuff hinging on one character, which is kind of a drawback to him. But what does he get to make up for that? Uh he is unusual. He doesn't have the lore in a Hakar. He uses lore of death. He's level four wizard. Yep. And then he does, uh, he has his items. I think he gets the, he actually ends up level five with the Liber Mortis actually, which gives him an extra wizard level. And the Staff and a Gash, which lets you save dice. I think that used to be an item in Vampire Counts. Similarly, you could save unused dispel dice or power dice and then use them in the next phase, whether it's the, your opponents or yours. And then he has the Tomb Blade, which probably doesn't really matter too much. But any guy you kill in combat is resurrected into your unit. Yep. So there's there's kind of some really cool things that are like that that make this guy kind of good. He still comes in for a wizard. He's coming in with a you know four weapon skill four, strength five, tough five, three wounds three attacks so he's still kind of fighty for a a character like that he does struggle a a bit with uh where he does where the armor and ward saves so yeah he doesn't have any kind of save yeah he he, has light armor (laughs) yeah light armor six up save you can throw him in a chariot which is kind of neat and that chariot can even fly for an upgrade which is kind of interesting and be equipped with two additional steeds to it too I've never seen. I don't think I've ever seen anybody play him that way. Uh, Paul played him Paul in our, played him in like our that. Santa Claus battle report. I think it'd be did, more but, for fun than benefit. Yeah, <laughs> he was trying to get his Archon Santa to do something, and <laughs> and I killed Archon Santa because yeah. Archon is no proper Santa. 
But I definitely I've heard of like Rob Fanouf has used Archon recently at like Wapaka and stuff very successfully and had a lot of a really good win run. And I've heard of some other players using Archon and having some really good success with the guy, especially using the death and using the level five wizard. So you get a lot of spells. You get the death, so you can snipe out characters. You get the debuff, strength, and toughness, and so it's a really strong kind of character. And he is he he's a guy that can hold his own a little bit in 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 combat too so he's not like uh okay somebody finally got to my level four if they get below through my four plus ward save i have nothing because he can't swing back and kill anything so he's he's got that so i think the other guy we wanted to go ahead and mention then i think is uh, he's is it ramatap is the necrotech special character yep ramatap the visionary okay ramatap is uh we we haven't talked about necrotechs but one of the there's a couple of things that necrotechs do and you actually got your finger on Necrotex. Why don't we go yep. ahead and quick cover Necrotex, a hero character that's brand new to this book. Yep, new thing to this one. Uh, and the big things about Necrotex is that they are basically these engineers of the Empire. So the guys that are kind of engineering, designing, building the tombs that the kings would have been in. They're the engineers of all these statues. And they're kind of controlling and animating these statues. So they confer, I think it's a 6-plus regen to the... To the stat, all the constructs. Yep, within twelve inches of them. Yeah, within twelve it's inches, six plus regen. So that can be kind of a challenge to keep him up with like your constructs if you're pushing your constructs forward. But he also confers any unity joins hate the hatred special rule, and that's which the bigger benefit, you're which usually really makes him awesome. Like when you get him into a tomb guard unit, or you get him into a skelly unit, and then you get a good spell off like a debuff, strength, and toughness, which is one of the Nehekara spells. Um, so that you can get, you know, all those extra attacks that can hopefully get some wounds through. Uh-huh. And especially even when you don't have those spells off, those synergy spells off, being able to have that hatred that first round when you're strength three is huge. Because now all of a sudden, now at least you're getting those hits. And especially if you're like, you know, if that's the unit with your Tomb King or Tomb Prince, you're now conferring maybe a weapon skill five or six on that unit. You're now getting rerolls to hit, so you're hitting on threes with rerolls. So you get almost all of your attacks are going to be hits, and then you turn around and, and are able to at least get some actual wounds through. Yep, but then the special character here, he also adds frenzy to your unit too, which is really cool because now all of a sudden, like say that tomb guard unit with those halberds or with the hand weapon and shields, you're getting that extra value out of that big block, that big horde. So. And since your Tomb Kings are so slow, it's kind of hard for your opponent to kind of pull you out of position because, you know, one, you've probably got your Tomb Prince or Tomb King here, so you've got a Leader 8, Leader 9 character. It's 9 or 10, actually. Or actually yeah, Leader 9 <laughs> or Leader 10 character yep. around. That is, yeah, it's true. Tomb Kings are very high leadership. With the characters, yep. With and the even the constructs and stuff all have high leadership. And I think some of the, a lot of that is to contract the the reason everything in the Tomb Kings is very high leadership is that you know you do have a single character that once your army starts fall, you know dies your army starts falling apart and it's only the leadership of that army and the leadership of those units that keep them intact. Yep. So that's kind of the the way they try to game balance that out, and it ends up being that you're you have uh, stuff like when, oh hey it's frenzy well. Chances are it ain't going to be running where I don't want it to. So, um, very solid choice. Very good character. I I've seen him a lot with in, in tournament play. Yeah, in units to try to buff those and you know buff those skelly blocks or even better buffing those tomb guard blocks and making them just that much more effective. 
So those are those two special characters. Let's go ahead and get into our normal character choices that we'd get, like start with lords. Yep. Uh, I guess we got Tomb Kings. Yep, the Tomb King, the staple the guy that's, you know, the guy that really the whole army should be kind of centered around. The, the, the Every Tomb King army, in my opinion, even though it's not a requirement to have a Tomb King or a Tomb Prince, but Tomb Prince being the hero version of the Tomb King, this is the guy that, that, that kind of makes things together. And I know that we're in an age of Warhammer where we don't feel the fighty lords and we don't feel these. The Tomb King is really pretty impressive. He comes in at four wounds. Yeah, that's the big note on him. You know, but weapon strength skill, five, toughness five, yep, weapon strength, skill six. Yes, yeah, some pretty solid stats right there. He doesn't take a lot. You don't, you don't necessarily need to give him a magic weapon that's improving strength. So you can give him something that, that helps buff out maybe more attacks or something like that to make him more of an infantry killer. Or you can give him something. I like putting my Tomb King, I like giving him a healing potion, actually, because it's quite often that, you know, Tomb Kings do struggle in the armor department. So I'm kind of limited in for magic armor to what's in the the actual big red rule book. Yep. So in that case, maybe I give him a four up ward save, and when he's taken down two or three wounds, all of a sudden, poof, pop that healing potion, come right back up because I cannot dedicate my healing, any of my healing or my will be you know any of the healing lore attribute stuff that account that I can use to actually getting wounds back on my characters, and all of a sudden. My tomb prince goes from like oh one or two wounds to boop I'm back up to full my you know my tomb king and then since uh we talk about the hero version the tomb prince he's still really good three wounds on a hero level character yeah he might only be three attacks but with that my will be done giving that synergy to your blocks conferring his weapon skill five he's still tough five three wounds. Really solid character. I really like taking those guys, just leaving a guy, taking them on foot and throwing a great weapon on them or throwing a hand weapon shield on them, maybe a sword of might to get that magic weapon or something in there because the Tomb Princes do need a little bit of buff in the strength category, I think, and taking minimal armor on them, mounting them up. Uh, these guys mount up very well in, in, a, in a chariot. They mount very well up in a, you know, you can take them on like a war sphinx and I think think that's all the mount options you can do for a tomb king or tomb yeah. prince they do work pretty well in both of those situations if i do tip mount him on a chariot i want a chariot block that's pretty big for him to go in the war sphinx as long as the war sphinx doesn't get it and have to take an initiative test to get knocked out from underneath it or gets cannonballed out from neat underneath them you get that large target so like when it's really nice then so if you're with him being your general, because then you can confer that leadership of his 18 inches, which is, you don't, you know, you're not thinking, oh, I'm playing on dead. It's not a big deal. Well, as soon as you lose that Hierophant, that's a huge deal. And that keeps your army around so much longer. Next up. Well, who are the hero fans? We got. Well, here are the Lich Priests. Lich Priests. Yep, so there's the a lich- high Lich, and the hero level is just regular Lich Priest. Okay, so the Lich Priest is one of these guys who is the highest caster in the Lord of Nehekara, must be your Hierophant, and that's the guy we keep talking about. That if you lose him, your army starts to crumble and fall apart. Every unit in your army, every turn, has to take a leadership test. Otherwise, it suffers wounds for every point it fails by, which is kind of a big bummer. And you don't want to lose that guy, and it's that that that's probably the worst thing about uh, the, all the other things can side with Tomb Kings. This is the one thing that's like k- killer because all of a sudden it's one model that's not very well protected, not very good armor save, and could potentially miscast and dimensional cascade himself off the board, you know, and you start 
losing wounds without your opponent having to do anything. That being said, the Lich Priests and the High Lich Priests have access to a couple of really good lores, besides just the lore of Nehekara. Yeah, you can also get Light or Death. And Light is really good because you got a lot of quality buffs that really help the survivability of your army. And Death, for those sniper spells to take out enemy characters so that you can focus on just killing the infantry, just killing the units. And Tomb Kings, when they can get a unit-on-unit kind of basis and they can get some synergy going on their side, can be really strong. It's where where your opponent can start buffing their stuff with units and, you know, start buffing their units with spells and stuff. It's where you struggle. So death can be really good there as well. I I tend to run, since I'm tending to run just a single level 4 or level 3 Hierophant, uh, of the Laura Nehekara. I tend to like the Laura Nehekara a lot as well. There's a lot of really good spells there. All of the, the lore attribute for the Laura Nehekara. Um, what does that do, Brian? Uh, any augment you cast on any of your units is, will regain your wounds. It's D3 plus one wounds on normal units and the constructs have a rule so they only regain one. Is that right? Yep. So that's a big thing. Then we talk about the other, the other, some of the other spells. The signature spell in the Lord of Nehekara allows you to move all units within the bubble, and I think it starts out as a 12-inch bubble. Yeah, the lower level is 12, and you can go up to 24. And then, what are, what are some of the other big spells that you think are are really good in this in this lore? Uh, they're all pretty cool, actually. I guess I'm not a fan of the uh, whatever vortex skull storm, but the bonus. The, no, there is a bonus with this with a vortex, though that wasn't there initially, and that's the fact that your opponent cannot willingly move through a Vortex. Yeah, I so, guess so when you're playing that defensive army, you could throw that Vortex to kind of block up movement lanes. Yeah, that's a benefit for that, but Cursed Blades is pretty cool. gets Killing Blow. Or increases that Killing Blow if you already have it to a 5+. plus. Yeah, which is pretty awesome. And Smiting's kind of cool. Oh, it can be really good, especially on like those War Sphinx or those Snake Riders. Yeah, because even you get Chariots the, when you get... The Chariots, yeah. That's a ton of attacks coming from one model when you get yep. the extra one for every, each... Every single part of that gets yep. an extra attack. So each horse gets an attack extra... Both of the skeletons on the chariots gets an extra attack. Same thing with the War Sphinx. So all four of the Tomb Card get an extra attack on top of the War Sphinx getting an extra attack. Yeah. It's also good for shooting if you have your big bow unit. You get double shots with that, which yep. is pretty cool. Lots and lots of shots. Goes well with the Kalita list. Uh, we didn't talk about Kalita, but Kalita basically confers her ballistic skill to the army, making your army go to ballistic skill three, and gives the poison shots, poison rule to her shooting, to the unit. Yeah, joins. you can buy a poison upgrade for so, anybody with a bow. So all of a sudden you got lots of shots with that are auto wounding and you got lots and you got shots that are hitting on, you know, fours instead of fives and it yeah, it just makes a with that spell on, on top of it can make a unit that's really, really brutal instead of just a a soft army as a whole. Yep. Uh a few other spells you got protection, five plus ward save kinda help you. I'm really Stick excited about that going on my Ushabadi or Ushapti horde. There I went and did it again. <laughs> Yeah, that would be a good place for that, or just in general, it's pretty handy it, when you don't have any it, armor it is, a, uh, it is a bubble. Bubble, it's an so augment. Yeah, that is one of the things too. Is that's a problem here? Is a lot of these kind of buff spells are bubbles of like twelve well, inches. I guess it's only a bubble on the bigger one, not the smaller one. It's only twelve inch, and for the one unit. Otherwise, you can make it a 
12 inch with everybody in it for 18 plus which, which is really short and sucks on like your hierophant who's probably laying back and trying to stay away from the thick of it because he doesn't want to die yeah it's hard to get a big benefit out of it and uh, desiccation's pretty handy that's the minus strength and toughness probably, that's the, probably best the best spell in the lore in the whole thing because you but, boost it for minus d3 strength and toughness on yep. a unit and that's huge if you line up a chariot hit to go with that i've watched probably it the with, biggest benefit i watched dave benerick use that spell on me charged me with two units of chariots like small units like four four man chariot units four chariot or yeah, four model chariot units and they charged me with two of them into a, a gore herd that i had um that gore herd had a like a plus one strength and toughness spell up on it as well and it was a horde so it was like 50 gore in the block and bsb with the plus one strength as well so it was Really hot. He popped that spell on me. Minus D3 strength and toughness on the unit. Lost, rolled the, th- rolled the three. So all <laughs> of a sudden I went from like strength five, tough five to strength two, tough two. The chariot impact hits and then between the chariot impact hits and the skeleton attacks and the horse attacks, my gore unit went from, wow, I had gore to, oh, I've got like 12 left <laughs> or something like that. Now I don't have enough to be steadfast against you. Roll, roll, snakes, roll, snakes. Oh, nope, failed, failed, break. Crap, that's never happened before. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it can be really good. And then one spell finishes out as a hex for minus D3 movement, and it also counts as terrain, dangerous terrain for if they move at all. Which is nice if you're playing that defensive army to slow things down and stuff, so... Again, I, I think the lore overall is a pretty solid lore. There's definitely things in there you want to cast and throw. Yep. So what else do we have for characters? Uh, not much else. I guess we already kind of talked about the Necrotech. Uh, last one is a Tomb Herald. Tomb Herald. This guy is different from all the other characters. Yeah, he's more or less like uh, the captain of the Tomb Guard kind of dudes. He does have the Bodyguard special rule, which is kind of interesting. And that, yeah, pick out... He's like sworn to either a Tomb King or a Tomb Prince... And anytime that guy takes damage, he can more or less you transfer the damage to the tomb uh, tomb herald instead. No, the problem is he only comes with two wounds. So, <laughs> yeah, yep. I transfer damage off my guy that's tough five to my guy that's tough four and only has two wounds. Yeah, so that's not a huge benefit. But the bonus is, if I remember right, he can be a battle standard bearer. Yep, which He's is nice. If I remember right, the, the tomb standard. herald can also be a battle standard. Tomb Herald is the battle standard, yeah. Or, or the the tomb, I should say, not the Tomb Herald. The Tomb Prince can take a battle, be nope. the battle standard now too. Nope, nope, nope. I'm wrong. Okay, yeah, just the Tomb Herald. Just the Tomb Herald. So he's the only way you get your battle standard in. He does come with Killing Blow, which is nice. Yep. And he does have the other special rule. And I mean, the since the battle standard, you know, I mean, obviously you get your rerolls, but since you're not for leadership checks for like frenzy and whatever but you also get that since uh you never take break checks you take minus one less models crumbling so he's kind of nice to have i've put him on a chariot before and ran him but he's also the only character that you can put on a skeletal steed yeah so if you wanted to go ahead and make like a, a fairly big unit of say skeletal horsemen with the spears you could to put two, three Tomb Heralds in, in that block to help buff out the front rank's worth of combat res. And since they're, tomb, since they're characters, you could get word saves on them, other kind of things to make that unit much more survivable, too. So 
there's a definitely way to make that work. Not that I'm going to do that currently, but it's something <laughs> I've played with as an idea to try to make a tomb, you know, make that skeletal horse block to be uh, something useful, respectable. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's pretty much the list, right? That's everybody. All right, so was there anything there that you definitely think that people should always always take besides the uh cast of the souls? I I think you have a little bit of variance everywhere else. I mean, I guess we talked about the snake riders are good, sphinxes are good. I I think that I think the two big builds you're always going to see are either going to be the construct lists where people are taking lots and lots of constructs like I do. Or the other list that you see a lot is the very defensive shooty list where you're just trying to play very defensive, very, um, you know, double, double screaming skull catapults, lots of archers, lots of, you know, casket, lots of magic. And one of the other big things with the Tomb Kings is almost always you're going to see a very heavy magic day when Tomb Kings are on the board. Yeah, for sure. So. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. My precious. My precious. Your precious what? My precious everything. Yu-Gi-Oh, Warhammer, 40K, War Machine Hordes, everything. Everything? Yeah, it's all at Misty Mountain Games. Really? Correct. Located on Cottage Grove Road. And you know what? I hear they also have the largest gaming space in all of Madison. Don't just hear it. I know they do. All right. And also, you can check them out for board games as well, I hear. Yep, board games. They got pretty much everything. The management and the staff down there are awesome. They can hook you up with whatever you need. If it's not on the shelves, they'll make sure they get it in for you promptly and quickly. All right. Well, check them out. Misty Mountain Games on Cottage Grove Road. And, of course, hit their website at mistymountaingames.com. Okay, on today's Conzie's Rant, we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about some of the commotion and after talk that's happened and some of the, one of the events that everybody's talking about that came out of the Warhammer Fantasy Championships at Adepticon this year. Now, Brian, I don't know if you've seen or heard. No clue. But apparently on, and I wasn't there for it, so some of it's what I've gotten second tellings. But apparently on round five of the Adepticon Championships, on the top table, a couple of gentlemen from, from what I understand, uh, opposite sides of the country were playing. Basically, I mean, it's a top spot for the tournament. The guy that wins this game is probably going to win the tournament. Uh-huh. And there's some other, I, I think there's some other politics that were probably going on at the time on this table for this game. That, you know, there's some, I think there's some animosity there. I, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not the authoritative subject. So if I'm, if I'm completely wrong, somebody can tell me. But one of the, I do know that this ended up being a very heated, very aggressive game where the TO who happened to be Alex Gonzalez had to step in and basically told all of his staff not to come near this game and sat there and handheld this game oh, really? the entire game, the entire time. 
during that game, apparently Alex had to make a rule calling hand on on a on an over, war machine or an overrun, being able to overrun after killing a war machine, and somehow that ruling ended up being wrong or something like that, and and he got blasted pretty hard about it on the internet and whatever. Okay, one, you guys need to stop that. That's the guy. the The whole situation was foul, and, and the, the fact that it, that the the tournament organizer had to come over and spend count, you know, they basically babysit the table for the round because the table was so disruptive to all the games around. That's just, I mean, it, you're pushing around toy soldiers. So the guys that were at this table that were playing in this game should never, I mean, they should never have gotten to this level of of obnoxiousness at a tournament to begin with. Because not only now are you killing your own fun, but you're killing the fun of the guys that are around you. And I, I hate to say it, we're pushing around toy soldiers here. It's not like this is something you got to get all emotional and hot and bothered over. I mean, everybody gets upset in the game. I mean, we both, we both do. I mean, we all both Never. have moments where Nuh-uh. you roll things on whatever. <laughs> whatever. I mean, we know we don't get a good game going without Brian cursing a couple times. You know, that it's just that's just the way it works. <laughs> We don't, you know, and there's time, you know, there's always going to be times in the game where you're going to go, grr, or I didn't understand this rule, or how does this rule apply? Yeah. Um, a TO comes over, and they make the call, irregardless. Even if they're wrong, they made a call. They got to do it in a quick, they got to do it quickly, they got to do it fast. It's not about how, who plays it or how it gets played in one environment, the other, or whatever. Somebody's got to make a decision. You ask him to make a decision. He made one. It's not like the guy had hours to dig, and you can tell me, oh, how, how this should be a standard rule or whatever. Get off it. Get off yourself. It's it's just a game of Warhammer. People should be having fun, and the second the game wasn't fun, it doesn't matter anymore. And that was a situation that was that was made at Adepticon. It ended up making a ruling that Adepticon has asked both those individuals not to come back next year. They basically broke the Adepticon code of conduct policy from what i understand Jeez. that's definitely not cool and while i've definitely seen at least one of the individuals step up and make a formal apology on on the internet um i've not seen anybody that's kind of been me that was kind of calling alex out on his rule calling or whatever come in and and, and apologize for that I, you know, it makes me very upset to see that. I think it's made a lot of people. I've seen people that have like, okay, because of that, I'm not going to go to certain tournaments because you're obviously way out of line or the members in your club are out of line. These are the kind of things that happen when you don't carry yourself in good, respectful, you know, kind of conduct. And, and at the end of the day, you don't, your other Warhammer players, whether they're, you know, the guy that you're playing against or the guys that are in the tables near you don't deserve that kind of obnoxious game, nor do they deserve being treated in that kind of manner. So get over it. It's, it's a game of toy soldiers for Pete's sakes. You want a heated game? Go play Magic or go play Yu-Gi-Oh! I don't care. Don't, this, <laughs> that's not something that belongs to the Warhammer table. I don't care if it's the Adepticon Championships. I don't care if it was the South Coast GT. I don't care if it's whatever. The only thing that I can say is that I think uh, the Adepticon people are really quick at f- looking at these tournaments and making a decision based on what's happened in the past to improve the environment and to imp- come up with a rule set that will handle these situations. It's just kind of a shame that we've got to come up with a rule set to definitely handle this when it shouldn't have occurred when it shouldn't have occurred in the first place. 
All right, Brian, I don't know about you, but I definitely got some hobby and gaming goals for the next couple of weeks. Uh, in the couple of weeks, I'm not too hopeful, but uh, finishing up the end of the semester here, um, yeah, don't got much time, but I guess out of the way at the moment, I wouldn't mind getting my Menoth battle group put together just so I can actually play with my own models and maybe get a little start into the war machine. Otherwise, if my ghouls end up back on the table, that'd be really cool too. get more paint on them. I definitely want to, I mean, we both got to get our lists together for Battle for Big Bull Falls. Yeah. And I got to look into that and see what I need to do. And get that going. But uh, on top of that, I've got to go ahead and, all right, but I definitely think that I, I'm i going to get some more of my, I've been doing a lot of the the World War II game bolt action. I've been really getting into that and wanting to play that. Demoed it a couple times. I'm wanting to do a lot, wanting to get a lot more into it. I'm doing World War II Germans, so getting that built and and painted up is uh, high on my priority list. I just got Impact City Roller Derby that finally came. I backed it on Kickstarter, so I got a couple of new roller derby teams on top of that that I go with that. You know, some pewter figs that I want to get painted up as well. And I I don't think that's going to happen, though. I'll be lucky if I even pop them out of the baggie. But definitely more bolt action stuff, more Tomb Kings. I got to keep plugging away on the Tomb Kings. I just started my Tomb Prince, Tomb King on chariot model painting, so that's like my next big project. I have to finish with the Tomb Kings. That kind of sets me up really well because that finishes off my chariot. I got all five chariots in my core unit for my core chariot block, but I need that Prince to finish out model number six to make that block complete. And so that's really high on the priority list too to try to finish up and finishing him up will get me really close to you know, probably seventeen eighteen hundred points so uh of painted tomb kings, which is really exciting because that gets me close to hey, I'm almost a two thousand that's <laughs> that's like a pretty close you know getting into that standard tournament size of painted army so all of those kind of things are on my to-do list, though I think the only thing I'm really going to uh, for certain accomplish is, uh, I, I know I had talked about it previously, I had a couple of 57-millimeter guns for my uh, Flames of War. Those will be finished up in two weeks. I will finish up more bolt-action German infantry, and I've got a Panzer tank that I might finish up as well. So those are my hobby and gaming goals. Uh, on top of that, what did we talk about today, Brian? Talked a lot about Tomb Kings. We did talk about Tomb Kings. We did a pretty pretty thorough thorough slash kind of broken up. Uh, we were a little bit uh, all over the place with the review, but we we I think we got some really good stuff about all the units in there and what all the units can do, what the options are, and which ones we really like, and which ones maybe are a little bit more of a struggle and things you got to watch out for. All right, how do you get a hold of the show? How do you how do you find us? Where do you find us to listen to us? We're all up in the iTunes, BlackBerry Podcast, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Yep, and of course you can find us on WiscoDice.com. 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 Dot com. Of course you mentioned Twitter and Facebook. Yep. And of course you can get a hold of us uh, via Google Plus as well. I, I forgot to mention that one when I was talking about the other ways to submit those cheese curd questions, but Google Plus is always a good place to find us, to listen to, uh, to grab information. And that's host at whiskodice.com as well for email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These dead things. Man, they're, they're dead. Why, why are we talking about these guys? Why don't you guys talk about something like Cast Warriors? That's what everybody else is talking about. 
Cast wires and demons. Those are the things I want to play. Yeah, yeah. You guys, what are you talking about? What are you doing? Come on, you're like everybody else. <laughs> Brian, why are you letting Nicosi do that? <laughs> I thought you had with stuff going on. You knew what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the fan wanted us to do Warriors Chaos instead. Apparently, but uh, considering neither of us have actually played that army, nope. nor nor do we uh, play against it very often, were we ready or prepared to do a Warriors Chaos review? So that'll come probably three or six months from now, along with all of the other books that are coming out this year, yeah, which is kidding. crazy. <laughs> pretty cool for fans. Yeah, it is. It's, it's an exciting year for Warhammer. That's definitely for sure. All right. Everybody, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, peace out. See ya.